fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. It's the 30-something movie podcast. hoo I think we're going to say that a lot this episode. <laughs> That's going to get repeated mm-hmm. a lot. I think this, I, I, I didn't count it, but I read somewhere. I think he says it like 10 times in the movie. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know what? Does, has anyone ever told you look exactly like Al Pacino? You know, scent of a woman. Hooah! Hooah! <laughs> Very good. Very good. You know something? Mm. No soup for you! This one is scent of a woman. And yes. if you haven't figured it out already, the, the scent of my co-hosts, <laughs> that you, I, you're you not going to get that through an audio podcast. And I don't really even know how I would describe how you gentlemen smell. That's just weird. <laughs> I, well. I, I, I don't know where to go with that. Before yeah. and I can't even I can't even quote the scene where he talks about smelling a woman's hair because I mean this is not a video <laughs> podcast but between the three of us we've probably got two Homer Simpson hairs yes so yeah all right well the bald patrol is here tonight and we're here to talk about scent of a woman Pat how are you doing great outstanding John how are you I'm doing fine I'm here we're all fine that's here now. awesome yeah. yeah, Dennis. Dennis, how's it going? That's how I'm doing. There you go. Well, we just want to let you know that we do spoil freely here, so we're just going to talk. We'll start talking about movies. If we start talking about movies you haven't seen and you want to just skip ahead 10 or 20 seconds, go for it, because this is kind of the only warning. Visit our website, 30podcast.com. That is 30podcast.com. You can leave us a rating, leave us a voicemail. You can find all of our past episodes, of which there are a plethora. There are over 400 other episodes that are there for your listening pleasure. You can also become a co-executive producer of the show via Patreon. If you want to go to 30podcast.com, and then there is a, a donate tab up along the top up there. There are some different tiers where you could join us for an episode. You could pick a movie for us to talk about or donating or supporting us at any level gets you access to all the bonus episodes that are over there. And we have approximately, at this point in time... Uh, a little over, little over twenty episodes, I think, over there. So lots of good bonus stuff for you over there, and we just we appreciate every single one of you that is supporting us over there. Just help helps keep the show running, helps us make some improvements here and there over time, and so just thank you so much for all of that support from all of you. We we thank you very very much from the bottom of our hearts. Yes, that's technical technical improvements. We we don't really we can't improve content all the time though, but technical improvements. That's true. I mean, it kind of depends on the movie we're talking about, but yeah, it's it's the technical mm-hmm. improvement. So thank you, yeah, everyone. Yeah. All right, I think we're just going to jump right into the movie. You guys got anything else? Anything that's on your 
on your conscience that you need to share before we jump into scent of a woman? Mm. No, I, I I'm will, good, man. Green I, light. I will say real quick. I, I forgot to mention this last week. I did start a little bit of a thing on Twitter and it's been kind of, oh, kind yeah. of fun to watch it go. There was a little bit of friendly arguing back and forth as to what year is the best year in the eighties for movies. Um, oh my gosh. You know, a little bit of an argument over that. Is it 84? Is it whatever? So I jumped in. I was, this is going to be fun. Let's do this. And I know you guys really aren't on Twitter, so you haven't, you haven't been in on this conversation. So what I did was every couple of days or so, I will post something up on Twitter and I'll share it out with the Shirley podcast guys, the docking Bay 77 guys, some of the other podcasts that we kind of have done some stuff with, or we kind of, you know, help retweet each other's stuff on Twitter, a film by those guys. And so what I put out was, I said, let's start with the 1920s. So today, 1920s, what's the best year for movies in the 1920s? And then everybody started voting on what their favorite year. And I, I shared uh, Letterboxd has a really good way of searching by decade or searching by year. Mm-hmm. So you can see mm-hmm. what came out mm-hmm. in those years. And then I was, okay, great. We got, uh, we got everybody's favorites so far from the voting from the 1920s. Next up, 1930s. What's the best year for movies in the 1930s? And then everybody votes on their favorite year. So what I'm going to do eventually, I think as of today, we're in the 1960s. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to collect up everybody's favorite year from each decade, and then I'm going to start forcing them to vote on, like, those years. Oh, So taking there you like, go. what they voted from the 1920s, the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, and it definitely gets more challenging the closer we get to today. Mm-hmm. Some of the 1920s, it was, well, there's this one or two movies, just because there weren't as many movies. Um, sure. So, yeah, there's one or two movies in the 1920s in this year that I like or this one. 1930s got a little bit tougher. 40s started to get really tough. 50s was kind of a clear choice. Most everybody voted on the same thing. But yeah, so, so far, and this will be this will probably all be resolved by the time this episode comes out, but so far, my winners are 1927, 1931, 1941, and 1954. Okay. So those, those are kind of our years so far. And that's 31, you're hitting up Dracula and the Spanish Dracula, and a 41, you're getting Citizen Kane, and you're getting some of those movies. 54 was Godzilla, and God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blank out on what 54 was, but it had so many great ones. But yeah, so it's just kind of been fun to watch everybody kind of do this back and forth of, well, I'm picking this year because of this, this, and this, and I'm picking this one mm-hmm. because of so on and so forth. Right. Nice. So yeah, starting a little feud on Twitter. Starting Not a little, feud. A little, little a challenge. Little, a little friendly challenge. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. fifty four. I mean, you've got Rear Window, White Christmas, oh. Seven Samurai. That was one I was trying to think of. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Godzilla. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the fifties was kind of fifties was kind of easy. I think everybody agreed. Jeff even chimed in on there too, and he voted fifty four because of Rear Window. <laughs> But I think it was it was pretty, yeah. pretty quick that everybody agreed 54 was the strongest year of the 50s. Yeah, there you go. So so curious to see what everybody says about 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. But yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. All right. Nice. I think it's time for Scent of a Woman. Yes. This one came out on the 23rd of December, 1992, rated R, with a runtime of two hours and 36 minutes. Directed by Martin Brest, who did Midnight Run, Beverly Hills Cop, and Meet Joe Black. Writers for this one are Giovanni Arpino, who wrote the novel. He died in 1987. Bo Goldman wrote the screenplay. 
Ruggiero Macari did the 1974 Italian version. He died in 1989. Dino Risi also wrote the 1974 version. He died in 2008. Arpino also did The Forbidden Room and The Young Nun. Goldman did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Meet Joe Black. Macari did The Family and I Know Her Well. And Risi did The Treasure of San Gennaro and Il Sorpasso. Martin Brest is the producer for this one as well. Also did Midnight Run and Meet Joe Black. Music was done by Thomas Newman, who did The Lost Boys, The Shawshank Redemption, and Skyfall. Cinematography done by Donald E. Thorin, who died in 2016. He did The Golden Child and Tango and Cash. Editors for this one were Harvey Rosenstock, William Steinkamp, and Michael Tronick. Rosenstock did Tombstone and Kiss the Girls. Steinkamp did Tootsie and Out of Africa. And Tronic did Days of Thunder and Remember the Titans. Budget for this one was $31 million. Box office was $134.1 million. Flick Metrics gives it a 72%, and that's kind of a breakdown that combines Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and Letterboxd. And that's one of those where the average doesn't really kind of reflect how far those different scores swing, because it's, it's a 72 average between the four different ones. And of the four that are on here, the critic score for Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic Metacritic was pretty low. It was a 68 on Rotten Tomatoes. It was a 59 on Metacritic. But then you get to IMDb and Letterboxd, and IMDb was an 80%, and Letterboxd was a 78%, I think. So that 72 is Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic are bringing down the IMDb and the Letterboxd. So a little bit of a swing for how people felt about it. Cinema score gives it an A. So cinema score was typically people actually seeing the movie, leaving the theater are polled on how they felt about the movie and they give it a score, a, a, you know, school score, a grade, uh, A through F. And so cinema score gives us one A. This movie is starring Al Pacino as Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade. He was in Serpico, The Godfather, and Dick Tracy. Chris O'Donnell was Charlie Sims. He was in Batman Forever, The Three Musketeers, and Vertical Limit. James Rebhorn, who died in 2014, played Mr. Trask. He was in Independence Day, The Talented Mr. Ripley, and The Game. Gabrielle Anwar played Donna. She was in The Three Musketeers and the TV series Burn Notice and The Tudors. Philip Seymour Hoffman, who died in 2014, played George Willis. That's junior, not senior. Uh, he was in Capote, Twister, and The Big Lebowski. Richard Venture, who died in 2017, played W.R. Slade. He was in Courage Under Fire and Heartbreak Ridge. Bradley Whitford played Randy. He was in The West Wing and Get Out. Rochelle Oliver played Gretchen. She was in Law and Order and Hollywood Ending. Margaret Edgington, or Eggington. I'm not sure how you pronounce that one. She played Gail. She was in Six Degrees of Separation. Tom Reese Farrell played Gary. He was in Almost Famous and Sleepless in Seattle. Nicholas Sadler played Harry Havemeyer. If there's ever a pretentious... Ivy League name, it's Harry Havemeyer. He was in Twister, Stop, or My Mom Will Shoot. Todd Luiso played Trent Potter. He was in High Fidelity and Jerry Maguire. Matt Smith played Jimmy Jameson. He was in The Altruist and Meet the Mosaics. Gene Canfield played Manny. He was in Sea of Love and Meet Joe Black. And Francis Conroy played Christine Downs. She was in The Joker and The Aviator. Frank is a, retire, is a retired lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army. He's blind and impossible to get along. Charlie is at school and looking forward to going to college. To help pay for a trip home for Christmas, he agrees to look after Frank over Thanksgiving. Frank's niece says, easy money, but she didn't quite reckon on Frank spending his Thanksgiving in New York City and taking Charlie with him. <laughs>
Hi, Mrs. Rossi. I'm here about the weekend job. Come on in. They put him in a veteran's home, but he hated it. Colonel's a gentleman. A real hero. This is some guy. Down deep. The man is a lump of sugar. Get in here, you idiot. What do you want? Give me what I want. What do you want here? I want, I want a job. A job? I promise you an easy 300 bucks. I don't get an easy feeling. How's your skin, son? I'm my age to be presentable. Well, I, I've had a few sets, but my roommate, he loved me as Clinique because he's from Chestnut Hill and he's got... The this. History of My Skin by Charles Sims. Get out my dress blues. They're in a garment bag in the closet. Are, are we going someplace, Curtis? What business is that of yours? Don't shrug, imbecile. I'm blind. Our destination is New York City. I, I'm just going to have to turn right around and come back. <laughs> Charlie's having a difficult weekend. How does he look? He's holding up. Oh, he looks fine to me. Don't think I can't see women because I can't see women. Boy, you have a one-track mind. <laughs> women are the essence of life. She's wearing floors. Flederokai, Ogilvy Sister Soap. That's amazing. Well, I'm in the amazing business. I should be getting back to school. Ooh. I don't think you're going to make it. You said that the last shuttle leaves at 10 o'clock. I lied. All I want is one last tour of the battlefield. You're just in a slump right now. How would you know? Watching MTV all your life. Ooh. From Martin Brest, director of Midnight Run and Beverly Hills Cop. Make your own rules. Be your own board of governors. <laughs> Pay your own dues. I don't know whether they shoot you. Or adopt you. It's not much of a choice, is it, sir? Al Pacino. Chris O'Donnell. Scent of a woman. What a marvelous place. What do I got? <laughs> what do I got? I got what an effect not using the film soundtrack in the trailer has for misrepresenting which what the movie's feel is. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of what I'm what I got. You know what I'm saying? We've noticed that quite a bit lately with some of these uh, movie it's, trailers. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's happened in the 90s, but this was this kind of a little bit more dudes cruising, kind of yeah. kind of this this kind of funky kind of thing. That was totally not what the music was. It, was. And it, it, sounds, really, it sounds like I should be watching a Tom Hanks movie if you listen to the music. Yeah, and, and it totally, I don't want to say misrepresented, but it was a head fake for which which direction the movie really goes. So I don't know. So what do I got? My initial reaction after watching the trailer was, well, that's not, that's not the right. That's not, no, (laughs) there is no Dana, the only Zool. What do do I got about the movie? Are we doing our initial questions? Yeah. How's the movie make you feel? And when was the first time you saw it? I saw it, I think, back in 1992. My parents okay. went out to the theater to see it, and then were like, you guys have to see it, because they talked about it a whole bunch. The movie makes me feel good. A movie with a lot of heart makes me feel. I saw it when it came out. I try to see it or bits and pieces of it at least every year. And this was my first introduction to Al Pacino. This is the first thing I saw him in, and I remember watching the Oscars and him getting the best actor for this and rewatching it. It's for me, it's yeah, that's, that's why I, at the time I remember them saying that he'd been passed over for so many other, that he, this was kind of, he won for this and for all the ones that maybe he missed out on. I, 
I don't know about that. And I don't even know how I was a kid. So maybe I, I heard one commentary and suddenly that became what everyone said, but I remember him winning for this. And like I said, what, as I rewatched this movie, I just continually see why. And it, the movie, it warms my heart. It's, it's great film. I agree. That's pretty much mine too. I mean, I, I would have said the same thing. It's, it's a fun, I was thinking of it as being a fun, heartwarming story, even though he's such a jerk at the beginning of the movie. It is just, he's so hard to even listen to, but and especially having seen it before several times, he's going to start to grow on him and he's going to start to, he's going to kind of soften a little bit. And, and the kid, Charlie is going to get to know him a little bit better. So that's all going to get worked out, but it's just, I mean, his, his character, especially from the get go is just kind of tough. <laughs> Kind of mm-hmm. tough to watch, tough to listen to. This one I did not see as early as you did. I want to say, I want to say probably high school was the first time I saw this movie. I've seen it several times since then, but yeah. So I was a little bit older when I saw this for the first time and enjoyed it then. I, I think I want to say there was probably a stretch of time where I was picking a bunch of. I, w- I would usually get on these little kicks of I'm going to watch three or four Al Pacino movies, or I'm going to watch three or four movies with this person, or whatever. So. I think there was a stretch of time where this was one of those I'm on an Al Pacino kick. So let's, let's catch some of his movies and ended right. up watching this one. So. Well, and I might be aging myself slightly, but I, I just passed the qualifications for high school when this came out. So, oh, okay. So I'm in, and, and oh, right. well, like well, you, you say 92 and I'm, I'm thinking I'm a few years younger than you are. So right. And, and that's the age where a few years is a gap. Whereas right. now a few years is, is nothing. So, but I mean, right. like I, I would yeah. have been, I would have been 12 when this movie came out. Right. And I think seeing it as a 12 year old, probably not, yeah, probably but not. seeing it as a 15 year old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyways, yes, yes. Dennis, what about you? I saw it once in its entirety. I've seen parts throughout the years. I liked it when I, from what I remember back then, I, I liked it. My family liked it. We watched it. I think it's again probably one of the family movies at this time. Pretty much everything was because you had pretty much one TV, one VCR. I uh, did not see it at the theater. And yeah, Al Pacino fan. And I think it's a good, great movie. It's just weird that I haven't seen it in its entirety. And I did start it just now over the weekend, and I got about halfway, a little more than halfway through. Okay. But not get to finish it. So I have some, but it jarred a lot of memory and things like that. And, and I, yeah, I have some questions now, too, that I probably didn't have back then, which maybe we'll get into. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I, I kind of, I want to start off by kind of just going through a general sense of the movie and the story and all that other stuff. But the funny thing is, watching this movie, I, the whole time I'm watching it, ooh, this is making me think of, I, I have a question for Pat. When we do the podcast, I have a question for mm. Pat, specifically for Pat. And it's be, be, because of a Uh-oh. recording we did for a completely different movie, I have a question for Pat a little bit later on. So, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now I'm nervous, man. So buckle up, Pat. Uh-oh. Do you think that this is a white savior narrative, Pat? I'm just wanting to know if you think... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> I think it is, John. I okay. think it is. All right. And uh, I think we just gotta take the movie as it is thirty years later. I can't believe I didn't bring that up during Last of the Mohicans. God. Oh, there's man, bears. I'm, I'm killing myself now. Just, man. There's okay. bears. Do we wanna poke the bears? Well, we could. So this movie, and the, the basic premise of this movie is you've got the you know preppy school kids, and you've got the one who he 
he is not as well to do as the other kids. He's there on a scholarship and he's got a bit of a, a bit of a dilemma. So that kind of becomes the, I don't know if you want to consider that the B story of it. The B story is he's got this dilemma where he saw something that was the beginning of a prank. The prank got pulled off the nice car that the headmaster of the school <laughs> had got paint all over it. And why did he try to pop the balloon? I don't know. I'm just, as he's jumping, it's just, just be like, okay, guys, back right. the car out, park it somewhere else. At that you know. point, I'm, why don't I, yeah, why don't I move the car? And then after I move the car, why don't I try popping the balloon? Yeah. Yeah. I've but, done eighth grade yeah. lunch, lunch duty, yeah. right? I, I, I mean, <laughs> there, there's many pitfalls there that were. This is, yeah. well, so, maybe, anyways, see, that's, maybe that's a sign of how out of touch he is, because if he works with children, he should know better. Yeah. Yeah. No. So anyway, this this prank takes place, car gets ruined, and basically he decides he's going to set up a the Spanish Inquisition because nobody would expect it. And he ends up kind of pulling two of the boys. One of them is George Willis Jr., definitely not senior, and the mm-hmm. other one is Charlie Sims. And he's going to kind of lean on them heavily uh, with the idea being that he's really going to try to squeeze some information out of Charlie because Charlie is the one with the most to lose here. So mm-hmm. that's kind of we established that pretty early on. And then the main part of the story, even before this whole prank thing happened, was Charlie trying to get a job so that a job over Thanksgiving so that he can make some money so that he actually has money to be able to travel home for Christmas time. So, and he does that by finding a notice on a bulletin board for kind of a, for lack of a better term, babysitting somebody over the course of the Thanksgiving holiday so that their family can, you know, go travel because he doesn't want to. And uh, it ends up being that he is, again, for lack of a better term, babysitting Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade, who is blind and feisty and unbeknownst to Charlie is headed to New York City and taking him with him. Yes. The first couple things I want to say about this one is this is the, and, and I looked on his IMDb, and actually there's really not that many, but I just think of him that way. This is the first time, I believe, it's one of his earliest roles, that Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the pretentious preppy school kid. Mm-hmm. And for some reason in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that guy has played like a dozen of those roles. And then I went and looked on his IMDb, and it's maybe three or four. Mm-hmm. But he plays that character so well. Oh, yeah. That I'm, that's how I picture Philip Seymour Hoffman. Now, obviously, in his later movies, he, he branches out and does all kinds of other things. But I don't know. To me, he always – he was in Patch Adams, wasn't he? He was one of the one of the doctors that kind of opposed Robin Williams' character. And I don't know. He just always came across as the pretentious, preppy, I know more than you, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. better off than you kind of a character. And so for years, that's just how I thought of him as an actor. I, in my brain, typecast him as – the prep school kid. Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. He's, he's been in a lot of stuff. I mean, oh, and, yeah. the, right. And brings, brings it, mm-hmm. brings it. He really adds a lot to the stuff I've seen. I mean, Brant and the big Lebowski, he's one of the bad guys in mission yes. impossible hunger games. I mean, he really, he adds a whole lot yeah. to the films yeah. that he's in. So one of the interesting things about this movie, and I I saw this on some different IMDb and some of the other trivia pages, is, I mean, this is, Al Pacino won an award for this. Uh, Yes. You know, he he won the Oscar for this. Was it the only Oscar? 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was, wasn't it? So he won the Oscar for this. One of the really interesting things is originally this was not offered. Al Pacino was not their first choice. Did you guys mm-hmm. read or see who their first choice was? No. I, go ahead and say it. It was it was interesting. First choice was Jack Nicholson. Ah, I did pick that, so I could see that. Okay. And I, when you play back the tape, you'll hear me say Jack Nicholson. I seriously do not know that. It would just been my first guess yeah. because some of the character is very. I could see. Almost an as good as it gets kind of character. That that and a uh, few good men. A yeah. few good men as well, yeah. But well, yeah. It, and this is one of those few times. Sometimes when we read that stuff and we're like, "Hey, do you know who they originally had in mind for this role?" It wasn't Bill Murray. It was John Belushi or something like that. Right. And there, are, most times when I hear that, I'm like, "Oh, well, that would have been a totally different movie." As soon as I read Jack Nicholson, I'm, actually that wouldn't have been a totally different movie. I think that would have been just as good. Yeah. So I, I think I think for that one, yeah. I think they would have had a great movie on their hands either way. Yeah. I think so. I think they both could have pulled that off. Yeah, definitely. Well, tell me when it's time yeah. to... I wonder if Jack Nicholson could go as long as, as Pacino and not blinking. Oh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. He didn't uh, really... He's not blinking. He never blinks in this movie at all. Can, yeah. When is the time to start gushing about how amazing his acting is in this? Right now? Yeah. Go for it. I mean... My goodness. And I'll tell you, and boy, I am I am not the guy to analyze acting because I can't. But I always, from when I saw it when I was a kid, oh man, he really does, he doesn't look he's acting blind, right? He really just mannerisms, how he focuses with his eyes, just how he carries himself is just amazing. But then, and I always remembered a few of these cues when I was a kid, but then I'm looking at, just how perceptive he is when Charlie's on the phone and all of a sudden he'll hear Charlie say something. Oh, I, th- I thought we were leaving our fathers out of this. And then suddenly his face will register that. Right. Or at the end, when he says, Mr. Willis, senior or junior, senior or junior, sir. And he just slips in the sir. And then Al Pacino, you see him kind of smirk. Yeah. He knows what the, he knows the score here, right? The way he was able to do that and just bring the subtlety, not only of acting as a blind uh, person, but just all the different levels of perception that Lieutenant Colonel Slade had, as well as the, he's going to commit suicide. And you can see the things that just depress him, right? The commentary, okay, your driving days are done (laughs) after the situation with the car. And then all of a sudden you can see him, Oh dude, that, that crushed him. Or, and there were a couple of things and, and, and it's just very subtle where you can see how he's kind of, he's ready to take his own life. And it's just, my God, there are so many layers to this character that Al Pacino brings. And that's what I was saying earlier is every time I watch this, it's just that much more amazing how put together that character was. I mean, it is incredible. It is incredible. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, I absolutely, I do remember this, and I remember watching this film and then going back, and what I did was I did a kind of a, it wasn't a Google search, but I remember my dad owned a copy of The Godfather, Mm -hmm. um, like Godfather 1, Godfather 2, all those, and I actually went back and put the video, and I I remember doing this, because I didn't believe it was the same guy, and I don't know why, I had a hard time believing it was the same guy from The Godfather. I don't know if I just had a gap of the age difference, or if it was the performance of how he, he's not wearing makeup. He's not, he's not doing this big transition into some, we had talked about with Lincoln, with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, where there's a lot of layers there and you don't see him. 
or the, the Batman, the Joker with um, Heath Ledger, where he disappears in that role. It's not that type of thing. I just couldn't see. I didn't believe. I don't know. As, at that age, I was it's not the same guy from The Godfather. I thought Al Pacino was the guy from The Godfather, and it was that was him. He looked so different, and 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 I can't just say he looked at, he looked old. He just act. If you listen to the character, he just acts so different. He's such a different mm-hmm. personality from the quieter sort of character in The Godfather, and it made him. It makes him almost look a different different person altogether without any makeup. Mm-hmm. And I, I literally remember looking back at that. And I always had a hard time. Not that I would confuse De Niro with him, but sometimes I'm confused De Niro and Al Pacino. Wait, Al Pacino or De Niro? De Niro or Al Pacino? Who's in this movie? But for this, for whatever reason, I remember looking back because I did not believe that Al Pacino, this Al Pacino in that current movie, was the same guy who was in The Godfather. I don't know why at that age, but I, I didn't believe it. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's literally just all done on personality in the in the role. I mean, yeah, we said it's not makeup involved. I mean, yeah, there's some age that helps where he ages, but it's just the, the the stare, the eyes, the no blinking, the the performance itself is is makes makes Al Pacino disappear. Mm-hmm. Yes, or at least the Godfather character. Well, they say you mentioned before about him not blinking during this movie, and yeah. it was a couple things in the trivia sections was that he kind of consulted with a school for the blind to help prepare for this. And one of his ways of appearing blind was to, he really tried to not allow his eyes to focus on anything and that he was constantly staying in character. You know, we talked last week about Daniel day Lewis, who really gets into his characters before he starts filming. And while he's filming Al Pacino was the same way. They said when he was off the set, he was still using his cane to walk, not looking at anybody when they talk to him, that kind of stuff to really kind of stay in character and practice that sense of not really visually focusing on any one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we go through, I mean, we go through the, the, the bulk of the movie is they're taking this trip to New York. It's, he kind of says it's, it's his, his uh, one last tour and Charlie doesn't really know what's going on. Colonel Slade is talking about, well, he's going to go you know, visit family. He's going to have a great meal. He's going to spend a night with a woman. He's going to do all this stuff. And then he just kind of casually says, and then I'm going to lay down and blow my brains out. Mm-hmm. That's a little heavy mm-hmm. for a high school kid to be dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, that's where you said, Pat, the music that's in that trailer, that don't fit. Yeah. Yeah, it really, and it doesn't represent the heart in this movie. Right. Exactly. And, and that's, that's, I think the perfect wording for it. There is a lot of heart in this movie, but it's not, it's not happy go lucky buddy road trip heart. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's, it's mm-mm. more of a, I mean, this movie always just has a very, especially from that moment. Well, I think really from the moment you meet the, that you meet Colonel Slade, it's just, there's this movie has a weight to it that just, it's not a, it's not a joyful romp. It's not anything that I think even at the beginning of the movie, when they have the whole thing of the prank and the headmaster trying to figure out who did it and all that other stuff. I don't think that really feels as heavy as it does later when you start to realize, oh, well, Charlie's entire future could be impacted by this whole thing. I still think it still feels, I don't know, maybe it's the whole like, prep school setting and stuff that it, it kind of feels lighthearted at least to me watching it felt lighthearted until you meet Colonel Slade 
And then you have some moments of, wow, this guy's a really grouchy guy, but they're going to go on an adventure together. It's all going to be fine. But the moment he drops that line, ah, and then I'm going to lay down and blow my brains out. Like, mm-hmm. whoa. Yeah. All right. The, <laughs> the, the movie just went to a different level now. Yeah. And when you go and rewatch, like I said, when you pick up the breadcrumbs of all the hints and you can see him just that depression yeah he's just in a bad spot and his injury it wasn't it had happened 10 15 20 years before they seem to make it sound relatively recent Mm -hmm. right within four or five years or something like that yeah so well and it's interesting that when he when he makes that i was i was going to try to find the the quote so i could get the the right wording for it when he makes that comment to charlie when charlie's kind of dealing with the the struggle of what do I do? I've got that when, when Slade finally finds out what Charlie's problem is back at the school and he makes that comment, he's like, here it is. He's like, Charlie about your little problem. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who stand up and face the music, those who run for cover, cover is better. He makes that comment. And then when you find out later how he got, how he was struck blind, it's going back to that. It's like, two kind of people, those who stand up and face the music and those who run for cover, cover is better. And that's him obviously regretting, that he did something that, you know, could have caused more people mm-hmm. worse than an injury, but that's that's what left him the way he is. Well, and that's what he said is that well, basically the same thing, but he said there's there's people that stay and people that go. I reached the crossroads in my life, and I always took the wrong choice. Yeah. Right? He, he makes mention of that. And that's, that's the beauty of this story is that you see they really – they help each other out. He has the heart and he's the one that has that innocent, I'm going to do the right thing that helps get him through. And I mean, you said a high school kid, he runs and goes and wrestles a gun out of this guy's hand. Yeah. I mean, and then in the same token, he is so, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Slate is so well-traveled and well-versed and streetwise and educated. He's, he's able to help Charlie out, Right. And not only showing him the finer points of life, and man, he knew the finer points of life, but just he was a really squared away and kind of when you imagine the, the do I, I don't want to say stereotypical bad thing, but a, an officer in the military that's a career military person, it's squared away at, right? My dress blues are right here. You will get this, you will get this many of this thing at this time, mm-hmm. and everything is very, so that they really just, they were able to bring out the best in each other, which is what I, why I think the story was just so strong. So one of the things that I kind of confused me a little bit as I was watching it this time, and I was trying to figure out, well, is he being honest? Is he being sarcastic? I, I'm not hundred percent sure here. And I know I've seen this movie several times, but I'm, this time I'm I got to really can't tell the advice he was trying to give Charlie when he's trying to tell Charlie how to deal with this problem. Do you, do you just you go to the headmaster and you say, "Well, it's these three guys did it, and I'm going to tell you these three guys these three guys did it because, frankly, if I don't, they've got their dads and their dads' lawyers and other people on their side. They are going to be protected. I'm the one who's got the most to lose. I just need to go reveal who these people were." As he's giving him that advice, do you feel he is actually giving him that advice to go tell, or is he saying that? but really trying to get Charlie to see that maybe you don't tell. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? What's he advising Charlie to do? What did you take away that he's advising Charlie to do? Is he advising Charlie, 
look, you are at a disadvantage here because of your financial situation. You have to go tell, or is Charlie being the more, I don't know, quote unquote, honorable person by not ratting on his friends. So you're saying that you're using some reverse psychology type of thing? Yeah. yeah I don't feel... think so. I would say no to that. I don't think so. I think that Charlie is the, if you want to call it morally superior, but that seems a stretch, but because I have questions about what he did and why he did it. And, yeah. and then is this a lesser of two evils decisions? And is it the bribe that makes this a more noble integrity? Because he used the word integrity and courage. And I don't know. I've struggled with this one because of my, I, I mean, obviously we're teachers and in education. And if kids saw somebody else do something, I would deem the kid with integrity as the kid who does tell. But in this case, it's sort of the, I hate to use the the comparison, but I think there's a comparison to this kind of the the street don't snitch type of thing. I mean, you know, if some crime happens, there's certain times where no one talks mm-hmm. to the police. There's a certain code of you just don't talk and rat rat on someone. This is my this is why I told Pat I had a question for him because he made a point back in our I'll get the number for you back on episode number three hundred and six. All right, Pat, I'm, I'm going back and I'm quoting you. Well, not quoting you, but um, <laughs> back on. So this is, I told you to buckle up. Episode 306 was our Goodfellas episode. Mm-hmm. And Pat made a point several times during that episode. He's, you, you repeated the Jimmy Conway line. You took your first pinch of man and you learned the two greatest things in life. Never rat on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. Does, yeah. that, does that advice apply to Charlie Sims in this movie? Well, they're not his friends. Okay. They're not his friends. But on the, on the other thing, you always keep your mouth shut. He's got a lot to lose all the way around with this, right? I mean, he could sit there and point these guys out. What are the repercussions that he's going to have to deal with? And I think that was what, that's, like you said, Dennis, you want it to be on a, on a level that we're all teachers that, yeah, if, if you saw something, if you see something, say something. But on the flip side, a lot of times when kids want to step up, that's hard for kids to do to step up. A lot of times kids will be like, Look, I don't want to get, my, I don't want my name mentioned. That he's talking about to step Pardon up. me? It would require the courage. Well, and it would, well, and it would require, it would, it would require the trust in whoever you're stepping up to, to handle it the right way. The kid comes up to me, look, I don't want, I don't want my name in this. I'm, I'm kind of scared of those guys. I don't, whatever it is. And they got to have the trust that, that I'm as the teacher going to do the right thing. And not, and I don't know, was that, was the headmaster a trustworthy guy that well to keep it quiet? The headmaster makes it harder. And this is where I get, right. I mean, it really makes me think because in my opinion, when you re- when, when Slade gets up and defends him, if you notice, he does even, I think at one point he says even that, I don't know if what yes. he's right or wrong, but he's not going to, he was saying it was integrity, not on the, inte- and I think that this is where I don't know, if people walk away, if a teenager or a high schooler saw this, would the lesson be you just don't rat on your friends and that's integrity and courage? Because I don't think that's exactly what it is. I think the fact that there was a bribe attached yes. to talking is what changes the morality of this and almost puts it into a lesser of two evils in the sense mm-hmm. that, if he snitches or tells now, is it because he wants to move ahead and get this bribe and take advantage of it? Mm-hmm. it kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't position at this point. Whereas if the headmaster did not bribe him and just said, hey, do the right thing, would he have told? 
Yes. Yeah, I no, I agree. Like twists this and makes this a little bit more of a dilemma than you think, because again, what's the motivations of 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 him talking, and or versus not talking? Is it to protect himself from also the effects of he said the negative consequences? Because would he have gotten the same applause had he told that he got from the standing ovation audience of all his peers had he told? Mm -hmm. So does that make that? right or wrong based on their response or was he was he doing that so that he didn't get the repercussions of the negative peer interaction i mean he wasn't like he said friends with those kids mm -hmm. i'm sure there's a lot of kids with power and money who would not have liked him after that probably for telling is it are you able to negotiate the prank itself it's in other words if you saw somebody god forbid beat up or rape somebody and you don't say anything does that morality still apply or is it just because this was a harmless prank with the balloons therefore the crime isn't as serious and no one seemed to this headmaster anyway does that make it and obviously first seems justifiable reasons because the guy seems to be like this well I, I what would i say the establishment the the the, the school system or the powers that be already seem somewhat broken the fact that he's willing to offer a bribe to get yeah. what he wants so are you betraying somebody who has that lack of morality by not helping them out and telling them? I mean, there's a lot, I don't know, there's just a lot in here because I feel, again, if a kid, if we told this story to a kid, I feel they might walk away with not pondering that because I probably didn't ponder it back then when I saw this. And I probably well, I, I well, remember feeling a little bit conflicted of, wait a second, though, shouldn't you have told me? I thought we're always told if you see somebody do something wrong, that the strong and courageous thing is to step up and say something. But I, again, the connection is now you have this bribe that throws it for a right. And I mean, and see, that's, that's, that's the thing is it's, it's got, there's more nuance to it, yeah. right? They don't give you the easy out. And I think that, and that whole, that whole thing of that whole thing of, Hey, no matter what, speak up. Yeah. I think, I mean, if you're talking about a rape or someone getting hurt, that's, that's a different issue. I don't think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, that seemed to be what you, implied oh, as well like far-fetched thing in terms of yes. right in terms of degree of severity but i'm saying therefore is the principle of yeah honest and everything else is that a integrity principle like i think most people would say is being honest would be integrity and, and you're military aren't you i know i'm uh, military stuff i think but i mean isn't there a code of conduct at some of these very astute college or places or military part about i'm trying to think of a few good men too but if you know something is the courageous thing to do is to to right the wrong or to serve justice or fairness when you know or is it to, I, I think within like this if an integrity trait when is it negotiable and you had just said he does, i think you said earlier on again not putting words in your mouth but i thought you said something along the lines of he didn't know these kids really well so my see, I didn't. I didn't right. see them as see them do something wrong. Is it morally right to to not tell them? But if they're not your friends, oh, I'll go tell on them. I think a lot of we do that with ethical dilemmas. Right. Advisory. I said, what if you saw a kid steal someone's wallet for or their phone from the locker in the PE locker room? What would you mm -hmm. do? You said, hey, this kid lost a you know their wallet. They had a bunch of money in it. And would you would you tell? And kids are like, yeah, yeah. the right thing to do. I would tell. Then you go, okay, the kid who stole it is your friend. Mm -hmm. your best friend and you saw him steal the wallet now are you telling well now they're all well geez i don't know and I'm, but wait a second i thought you mm -hmm. said honesty and integrity was as important but now just because you know the person you're not willing to do the same action you would have before so 
I don't know where I'm yeah, going. Yeah, and it's honoring this one, but it's easy. It's easy to fall into absolutes. I mean, that's and that's the problem. And when you say, "Oh, I, I do this 100, 100 times out of hundred, ten times out of ten, I do this," and it's yeah, well, what about this? Oh, yeah. It's when you add the nuance that that does give you pause. I, I for the purpose of the movie, and I could be way off base, but for the purposes of the movie, it was more they were setting him to be the fall guy all the punishment was going to go on his head. And that was kind of the thing that made it the big cheering at the end where they're setting this kid up. And to be honest, the guy came across looking vindictive. What I'm saying? And so that's what the kid knew something. Yeah, about who this, th- this wasn't, this wasn't, this wasn't someone going up and saying, Hey man, this thing really, happened and someone got hurt and all this we we really the crime dramas where we need you to stand up so we can bust the gang members or take this guy down or get the the person that's been attacking women off the street or something it wasn't this it was a prank and he knew darn well who the three kids were that needed to be punished right Everybody knew who it was and they know that what's his name will George Willis yeah they know that he saw Right. Everybody could see you could see that mile away. But I think that the way they set it up in the movie was everybody else had an out. Yeah. Every, every, everybody else had an out. And then and the, that was why Charlie facing the music and the integrity. He didn't use an out. He's OK. I'll, I'll go stand in trial. And that was the other thing. They brought everybody in. I mean, it was a show. They brought everybody in and it was, they're just setting this kid up because he interviewed George Willis. There were a couple of strong words. Okay. Well, I can't punish you, but because you didn't have your contacts in or whatever. And then the three guys in the audience that we know, we, everybody knew that they did it, but we can't punish them. But you, I expected you to stand up. And it was, do you think that the headmaster had his back? And so that whole thing, John, going back to that quote, never ratting on your friends. And I, and I, 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 when we talked about Goodfellas, I put the disclaimer in there that well, for me, unless we're going to go through every, whatever, but if the friend was just vandalizing something, if the friend was just vandalizing something, yeah. So he vandalized someone's property. So it's enough to tell, or is that now? I, I get what you're getting at, but it's how, let's, but how much can I, how much can I trust who I'm telling in this case, how much trust did Charlie have in that establishment? Right. Yeah. They, they would have sold him up the river. He didn't. Yeah. yeah okay. They could have bribed him. Hey, we're going to give you this if you just finger these guys. And it's just, okay, well, what, what about George Willis? Well, don't worry about him. They were setting him up to take the fall. And if you're sitting there in, in this school where the, the parents are supposedly as strong as they are, what's to say they're not going to come back and go after the school and everything and force to get their kids reinstated or whatever the heck it is. And then, then they go after Charlie. It's what? almost like there's no moral, there's no, there's no moral or just ob- obligation to a unjust system. Yeah, I, I I'm just gonna, and I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not standing up and facing the music, but it's I don't want to speak absolutes on hypotheticals. Give me a for instance, and I'll tell you, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that, or uh, no, I, I don't think so. so you, you know what I'm saying? It's a prank. Mm-hmm. And the prank, just giving the same one for the movie. <laughs> so my question is, do you think he did the moral thing? Was he was he acting in integrity or in courage, or was he not? 
in the end in this movie? Do you have a clear walk away? I'm a bit muddled by it. Yeah, and well, they I think they address it. I think they address it. I don't know if him if his silence is right, but you're bringing him out. You're show, putting him up on this trial. You're going to expel him <clears throat> just because he's 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 not fingering these kids. But you're not punishing the ones that actually did the crime. You're not punishing the guy that the dad is a big contributor to the school. Mm-hmm. So basically, they were setting him to be the fall guy. I mean, that's kind of what what I got to is that he was being set up to be the fall guy. Whether he opened his mouth or he didn't open his mouth, he was being set up to be the fall guy. I mean, and so that's where I think the cheering at the end and you feel that. So was his decision the moral, ultimately the moral just decision, you think? I don't know. I'm, I'll, quote, I'll quote Lieutenant Colonel Frank, Frank Slade. I don't know. I'm not the judge and jury. John, what do you think? <sighs> I don't like, think it's... Tell your kids if you watch this movie Yeah, with, with your son in a few years. Well... Does he walk away and say, Dad, so I should never tell on anybody because that's bad? Right. Or is he walking away saying, because we're told by teachers and other people to... But again, that's an absolute. Should he never tell? Mm. Just the question of if the Nazis are knocking at your door and they're asking if you're harboring any Jews in your basement, is it okay to lie at that point? Well, heck yeah, because the greater, you know, good here is what's an unjust, unjust question by unjust people. I don't know. Part of it seems to me because of the, because of the nature of the prank. Well, so here. If what gets dumped on the car and the headmaster is paint and it's going to irreparably damage this car and this property and whatever, I think that's a little bit different than if it's just this, I don't know, maybe it's a giant balloon filled with yogurt or something, which you can wash off pretty easily. I think it depends a little bit on the nature of the prank. So if the prank is not destructive in any way and it's just more embarrassing to if it's kids pulling a prank and embarrassing an adult, an adult who, in and some ways, asshole. in some ways, deser- right, in some ways, deserves yeah. the embarrassment. Yeah. Um, that's where I kind of lean towards. All right, that's that's just kids being stupid. But if it's if there's destruction of property, if there's if someone is irreparably harmed, if it was something what happened to Slade, where he was kind of messing around with a prank with grenades and ended up going blind because of it and almost killing other people. That's definitely different. So yeah, I don't, I, in this situation, it, I think that the whole, you were talking about the, the broken system of the school is why are you even giving this thing the attention that these kids probably wanted in the first place mm-hmm. by, by running this prank I think you handle that in a completely different way. I don't think you blow well, this all up. The fact that into... you bribe him, too. The fact that right. you bring that. Right. Instead of, appealing, instead of appealing to doing the right thing. Right. Or a certain code of conduct or a certain code of ethics. He literally destroyed all code of ethics by offering, here, you get this for doing that. Yeah. So he almost took away the opportunity for him to be truly ethical, in my opinion, and doing the right thing with nothing to gain. Because now his answer is going to be clouded by, is he answering because he has something to gain? So therefore, you kind of handcuff his, his, his 
sense of, I guess, right or wrong at that point. And then he's got, if he says it, he does it, does he appear to everyone else as somebody who was just out to gain entry into, what was it, Harvard? Right. And, and here's the other thing I'm going to say. Let's take it the other direction. I'm sure that you saw something. I'm going to pay you this money, pay you this bribe to say exactly what I need you to say. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now that's the, now that's the flip side. That's scary because now it's just, Oh, okay. Well they're bad guys. And when he was walking up, did he see them fill the balloon with paint? Did he see now he saw those guys messing around there, but that's it. And I mean, if we're talking court of law and I'm not trying to say that those guys were angels cause they were jerks, but he didn't, he wasn't in on the prank. It wasn't, he was an accessory to it in the setup and everything. So now you got the headmaster saying, I need you to tell me this, whatever the truth might be. I need you to tell me it was these guys and you saw him set the whole thing up. I mean, that can be, that can be the slippery slope too. Cause then you have someone that's, oh, I'll take a bribe. I'll say, I'll say whatever you want me to say. What I'm saying, it's, here's, that's. Here's what I think, Dennis, I think you were looking for earlier. Uh, I think you said it, the honor code at West Point. Yeah, I was just thinking military type yeah. of thing. And it's, it's, so it's the, like, the, official, the official honor code at West Point is, quote, a cadet will not lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate those who do. Okay. And I even found there was a story, this, this one website has a story related to this. In 1951, a cadet named George Holbrook offered his roommate, Brian Nolan, help on a math exam. Nolan went straight to the administration. They then had Nolan infiltrate the cheating ring to see how many people were involved. That August, 90 cadets were expelled, thanks largely to Nolan snitching. Believe it or not, Nolan's a hero to a lot of people. Whoa, 90. Yeah. There's a lot of cheating going on. Yeah. Okay, so he, and when was this? What time period? This was not, That was 1951. Okay. And they said he's a hero. Yeah, because, again, because I, I know I, there are certain institutions and certain private academic places and where, where code is big. I, mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. the Emperor's Club, I think to those type of things, of living your life right and justly and, and doing the difficult thing when, when, when it's not easy. And, and, and that was, it was, you say this was West Point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it it is. You said it is ambiguous, and I mean, I remember when I first saw the movie too. It was the same thoughts. Okay, well, shouldn't he have said something? But I, I, as far as within this movie, what gets it for me, and what I think with the cheering piece and all that, and you said as you examine it and take pieces of it out, it does. It's all oh, this is interesting. But what gets it is that they kind of set him up, right? They were setting him up. They were trying to give him a bribe just to say whatever. And it was all so the headmaster could save face. Yeah. It wasn't, you said, appealing to a higher level, higher level of... Higher level of morality or ethics. It was, it was actually dragging it down into something right. dirty. Right. So that's right. the thing. So then does it cancel out his responsibility or, his, or does it cancel out his obligation to adhere to those integrity values of honesty because of the way now it's been, it's been basically dirtied. And I mean, and here's the thing too. And uh, I feel, it's I mean, I mean, I was thinking about it as a catch 22. I mean, to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as Frank coming into this, Frank, I feel when you, I think you asked that question about, was he being 
not sarcastic, but somehow trying to get, I feel, no, I think that's Frank who he was and Frank had made these consequences. I think that's also why life, a life examined type of thing is, is, is suicidal at this point mm-hmm. and has a way to those things. And I think what he learns from, from Charlie is, is basically you have the situation, you do the best that you can and, and, and kind of move forward. And in the end, it seems like he does that where he's, these choices were made. These are things he's done. And I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think about what the, the connection is. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, all the efforts he put into getting the bribed and all that kind of thing. I mean, that's as opposed to bribing him, that's where you have that whole meeting and you tell everyone, Hey, if people saw things. We will you to come forward. Here's why blah, 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 blah. We're all bared men. We're on our honor, the whole thing. And then meanwhile, I mean, dust the light pole for fingerprints. If it's that big of a deal and the vandalism, the vandalism and there's damage and there's all that kind of thing, examine the students' dormitories, which students were out, which students were, I mean, are there security cameras? Do you get what I'm saying? And I mean, if we start to get into the nitty gritty with it, you can see where different pieces of the story kind of fall apart and they acted in different ways. But I, I think if they all knew who was involved, why are they just going after Charlie? And I, I, the thing that I come back to was they're just setting him to be the fall guy. And doesn't uh, Slade say something at the end about he has integrity and courage because he's not willing to, to, to rat on people for his own like gain. Doesn't he right. say that? Yes. Either before or after he says about whether he's not sure if he's right or wrong, but at least he's, he's not doing this to get his own. He could get a, a cush deal out of this, but he's not doing it. And that's integrity and that's courage. As and I then, came right. as I came in here, I heard those words, cradle of leadership. Well, when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall and it has fallen here. It has fallen. Makers of men, creators of leaders, be careful what kind of leaders you're producing here. I don't know if Charlie's silence here today is right or wrong. I'm not a judge or jury, but I can tell you this. He won't sell anybody out to buy his future. And that, my friends, is called integrity. That's called courage. Now, that's the stuff leaders should be made of. Now, I've come to the crossroads in my life. I always knew what the right path was. Without exception, I knew, but I never took it. You know why? Because it was too hard. Without exception, I knew. Or no, because it was too hard. Now, here's Charlie. He's come to the crossroads. He's chosen a path. It's the right path. It's a path made of principle that leads to character. Let him continue on his journey. You hold this boy's future in your hands, committee. It's a valuable future. Believe me. Don't destroy it. Protect it. Embrace it. It's going to make you proud one day. I promise you. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, and Dennis, I think you just, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? What you just said. He, the, the integrity is he's not selling someone else out to, to pad his pockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where it, changed in a way it would it would be almost nicer if there was another hour to the movie where they could really examine that more but that's where it's kind of it's almost the b story what i'm saying so you don't you get you, it's kind of the mile wide inch deep thing almost you don't really get to examine that moral conundrum yeah, yeah. and so though in, in essence then does his decision saved Slade. Decision. The decision to, to not rat on them for his own yeah. personal gain. Is it kind of a little bit of that Willy Wonka, so, so shines a good deed in a weary world, 
somebody who's suicidal and hopeless and has made poor decisions himself and, and, and believes in the good again, or believes in mm-hmm. something that's innocent and believes it's something that's not corruptible and therefore gives him a second lease on life. And I don't know, cause he was suicidal. Now all of a sudden he's not by meeting this kid. So at some point this kid saved his life, not only physically by wrestling the gun away, but by the demonstration of his character and goodness, or at least what Slade perceives it to be mm-hmm. is it enough. I mean, enough for him to come in and defend him and show up. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to, he's not his lawyer. Right. Yeah. He comes in and basically saves the kid. Cause then what would have happened if he doesn't show up and make that speech? Something's going down for that kid. That's not good. Mm-hmm. He's either mm-hmm. going to buckle and, and cave or he's going to, you know, not buckle and in cave. And now he's suspended in this or expelled. And in this case, he's not expelled. So he's able to kind of maintain based on his defense. Yeah. And I mean, if that headmaster really cared about him, first call should have been to the parents. Hey, here's the situation. Yeah. You might want to be with your, and that's the piece. Well, they, that- right, they have to write that part to set it up to be. And, and again, right. I, I don't, I don't want to say it's, it's not 12 angry men, but there's a certain vibe to in the end of, did they let somebody who was a murderer go free in 12 angry men? Is that decision ever really pondered? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. possible. But it's mm-hmm. also possible that they didn't. They never let you know the answer of whether or not this was the right decision that they made. And I feel in the same thing, is it the right or is it the best decision in a rough situation? Yeah. And and I'm just gonna say this is therefore that Slade's thing too. Is he making the best decision to continue with life? Yeah. In that in a rough situation because he's blind because of something he's done in the past. So are you making is it ultimately the message of making a something good out of something bad or something yeah. or not bad, but something that might be conflicted. Colonel Slade doesn't believe in the no win scenario. <laughs> but yeah. And as you said, as far as mouth shut and you always rat on, you never rat on your friends, keep your mouth shut. A, a lot of that was uh, with Goodfellas was tongue in cheek. Yeah. But a lot of that also, I mean, how, how, how are you going to handle things? I mean, think of our own procession, profession. Think of team meetings. How many times is it just, what is going on? Today? I remember I used to always get allowing kids to come to band lessons. There'd be admin. Hey, there's some teachers that never let kids go, right? Come on. Come on. Tell us who are the ones that are difficult. Now I could sit there and tell my admin and say, yeah, well, Mr. So-and-so and Miss So-and-so and Mr. So-and-so, they never let kids go. And this is and totally sell them down the river. I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to rat people out because I've got, I'm going to go work it out with them or whatever. You just, you keep your mouth shut. Cause, cause what do I have to gain? I, I, I think that line is almost more of just a, Hey, what, what do you have to gain? What is, what's, what good will come of this decision or that decision? I mean, what do you have to lose? Kids will get to go play music. Will they though? <laughs> will, will they though? They're held accountable and that they have to let the kids come out and go to the lessons. Technically, you're allowing those teachers to rob those kids out of music time. No, because the way I found a way it could work is you go work with the teacher and say, hey, look at, we got a situation and how can we work this out? I've seen the other way. I've seen people say, oh, yeah, it's so-and-so and it's so-and-so. And then they get a talking to and then they're vindictive. Well, man, they this, got is, called- this is super awkward then because I used to complain that my kids would come back late from Mr. C's band lessons all the time. <laughs> 
That, that, so, that's it. That's yeah, it. And I used to I used to name your name every single time it happens. So this is this is that's awkward. right. That's yeah. right. I actually I actually quoted that. I got yeah. It, yeah. I quoted that to. Uh, I want to send to you for lessons that don't even take music. I I realize that I I do. Well, it's so yeah. There's a bunch of extra. There's a bunch of instruments lying around. Just go play something. Yeah. Just, just now, go sit. Just go sit in the band room and read a book. The drum. Just sit yeah. in the band room and read a book, kids. Now, I will say, if this was a situation, they he walked in and those three guys had someone from the girls' college in a room and were. You know what I'm saying attacking her or raping her or something that that's a no brainer. You don't keep your mouth shut. Then <laughs> the first you got your phone out, you're calling. Well, so ethics are situa- situational, which is, yeah. Yeah, I know. And I, I get into the definition. Okay. Ethics are situational, but morals are absolute or what, you know, I, well, I, I don't know. I brought up the Nazi thing. You got Nazis knocking at your door and they're asking where the, are you harboring any Jews and you're in your basement? What do you say? The moral answer is no. Because you're not protecting yourself, you're protecting someone else. You're not lying to gain advantage, you're lying to for a greater good. Where is, I mean, that's kind of how I see it. So again, what is the, the, I think motivation is huge. And I think that's why it's brought up in this, that that his, his motivation isn't to gain um, access to Harvard that he can actually get. It's, it, there is a broken system there and it's, and he's not going to take part in that at this point once his hands are tied because you offer yeah. Because now if his decision is made and he tries to make the just decision, there'd be people walking away saying that it was because he, I mean, I guess the only other ultimate answer is to say, and again, this is what I think I might've done is I'm going to tell the truth, but I'm also not going to take any position at Harvard. I'm not going to accept that. And I'm 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 going to call you out for offering that. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, that would be the highest moral good in this situation, but you're talking about a teen kid here, and I think what he does is acceptable, I think, but the ultimate right would be to not only, if you want to go by that military code of West Point that John said, it would be to not only tell on those kids who did it, who did the prank, but it would also be tell on the headmaster who offered a bribe. Mm-hmm. It would be the ultimate, I think, moral justice. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll but utopian imperfection and, 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 and whatever. But I mean, that, that would be my takeaways. You don't have to take the bribe. Yeah. You can call out the bribe and say, I'm going to tell you who did it, but mm-hmm. I'm also going to say that you offer me a bribe and offer me a position at Harvard. If I told you, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. therefore he gets justice as well. Cause otherwise his, his, his ultimate decision keeps somebody in power who really shouldn't be in power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's, that's interesting because the movie is like the first time I saw this, none of this really, other than wait a second. Wait, so you rat out kids or you don't rat out kids. I thought yeah. we we're supposed to tell that that was about it. And I probably just was like, okay. Oh, well, next movie yeah. star Wars. Done. But watching it now and as a parent, as a teacher and all that, I started thinking, I wrestle with this and how will people take, what will they take away from that decision? And you said there is nuance and there is situational threshold of, at what point is this just a minor prank? And at what point is this a something mm-hmm. that, that you don't tell? And and does it matter if you know the kids and are friends with them or don't know? I don't know. It's a good good ethical. It's a good ethical decision for a movie. So I, make, 
I'm going I'm to switch gears and has, yeah. have, have us answer one final question before we start to get to our three questions. But I did want to let you guys know, and I will try to put this in the show notes for the episode, where I found the West Point Code of Honor was actually on this blog post from a website called overthinkingit.com. And it was an article from January, I think it's January of 2009. And the title of the article is The Ethics of Scent of a Woman, To Snitch or Not to Snitch. And so the that whole, would be interesting. Yeah, so the whole article goes into did Charlie make the right decision? So I, I dropped the link in our in our little chat here. And yeah, good. Yeah, so I mean that'll that'll be some interesting reading after the fact because the the guy kind of the writer goes through this and he's like, okay, well, so here's here's the thing. Here's the bribe that's involved. Here's this. Here's this. Now, if he chooses to make this decision, it's here are the repercussions, but if he makes this decision, here are the repercussions. And so that'll be, I'll put that in the show notes if anybody wants to take a look at that. Later yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. So my, my next to last question for us is let's, we'll switch gears. And, and this is a little less, a uh, little less deep philosophical conversation. What's your favorite but scene it was in this such, movie? But what a, what a wonderful conversation. Oh yeah. I mean, seriously, what a thought for folk. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and from, from the like B story of the movie. <laughs> right. Which again, cycles back. You almost wish there was an extra hour of the movie to really interrogate that. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Just uh, without drawing too much on it, but I think that, yeah, it's going to be an interesting read. I want to read this because it does say what we literally just talked about, but I think it kind of attacks what I was saying. I feel it does. Wait, the bribe I feel is an ethical red hearing herring. That is, it seems it's important to take into account, but it's not where I was saying it is important. Yeah. Think about it. If protecting your fellow students is the right thing to do, the bribe doesn't make it wrong. And if being honest with Trask is the right thing to do, the bribe doesn't make it wrong. The bribe gives us the impression that cooperating with the headmaster is immoral, but really the only immoral thing is naming names because you want the bribe. Colonel Slade actually says this in his speech. He leaves open the possibility that it's okay to cooperate with the headmaster so as long as you're not doing it to get into Harvard. At least that's my interpretation. Later in the speech, Slade says he has chosen the path. It's the right path. Most people interpret that as Charlie made the right decision in not snitching. I think actually Slade just means Charlie made the right decision in not being tempted by the bribe. So interesting. Yeah. So, so we need part two. So part two could be on Monday. He goes in and says, okay, now that that's all behind us, now you're not bribing me. These are the guys. Right. Yeah. Oh, there's your part about West Point. Yeah. And then yeah. it goes on uh, Buster Rhymes. Yeah. Okay. This is because that's kind of what I wasn't referring to. Obviously, this, but I was referring to the kind of the gang mentality or what what a lot of the Chicago cops deal with is where there's a crime in a neighborhood and you know somebody saw something but nobody says anything, whether it's out of fear or whether it's out of loyalty or whether it's out of what's your your cousin and nobody says anything and a lot of crimes go unsolved because. And, and keep on happening because those people remain on the street because no one's going to come forward. And I guess there was a situation according here. Yeah. Where one of Buster, Buster Rhymes got bodyguards were fatally shot and nobody would talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So they were talking about hip hop ethics in this case, but I was, you know, thinking more gang, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or in the case of what Pat said with Goodfellas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Code. Yeah. I know that code is not a good code, in my opinion. But like you said, this is painted differently, and there's a lot of little things to think about. So it's an interesting discussion. Yeah. Good. Do we get college credit for this? Yeah, I think so. It's, right. it's a three-hour course. So 
get college credit for listening to this podcast, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> CPUs. Yeah. yeah, any any teacher listening to this should get uh, continuing education credits. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's bring it down just a little bit. What's your favorite scene in the movie? Well, I'm going to jump in because I'm just going to say, I, well, obviously the Carsage thing could be easy to talk about, but I think we're going to get into part of that with the three questions. I'm just going to say that tango scene was magnificent. I, I I'm just going to, and I'm going to wax eloquently about it. I love that song. I think it's, I think that song was called para un cabeza or what the heck was that? Cause I have a copy of it. I love listening. Poor una cabeza. And yeah. it it's, I love the tango. I love listening to the tango. I love the drama. I love the, the emotions. Tammy and I took ballroom dance lessons that we kind of fell out of once kids came along. And that's quite unfortunate. Hands down, the best dance to dance was always the tango. And I'm telling you, I don't want this to get awkward, but I hope to all of our viewers out there, you get the opportunity at once, at least once in your life to learn the tango and dance it with someone that you love. It is the greatest thing ever. And so that scene, and it's just, it's full of drama. It's, it's exciting. I mean, it's emotional. It's just a great scene with a great tune. I mean, I love listening to that song. So I'm going to, I'm just going to go on and on and on, but I think the tango scene is, is just a great, great scene. This is not, this is it, but this is not the version from Santa Woman. Okay. I was trying to pull up the one from Scent of Woman. This is... Okay, so the one from Scent of Woman would not pull up on my phone because it said okay. it's not available in your country or region. But this one is John Williams and Itzhak Perlman performing... Yeah, performing the tango from Scent of Woman. Yeah, I've got an album called The Tango Project. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you look on YouTube, the Tango Project, Por Una Cabeza, I think that's the one that should come up. I think it's a similar version. Yeah. But it's that it's and and you were talking about bum 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 da 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 da. You just get that. Yeah. I love the tango. Yeah. I watching dancing with the stars. Every time they dance the tango, I like the history of the tango, the music, I love the emotional content. I like the moves. I love dancing it. And again, if I can just say, have the opportunity at least once in your life to dance the tango with someone that you care about. It's awesome. It's awesome. And this scene totally did it justice and awesome. Which funny enough, the, the actress, Gabriella mm-hmm. Anwar, she apparently reported that Al Pacino never showed up to the rehearsals. So yeah. when they did that, because she was, I guess she was a trained dancer. They showed up the rehearsals and I guess she was quoted in a, in an interview a year or a couple years or whatever later. And she's like, yeah, I think some of my toes are still partially broken from doing that scene with him. She's like, I doing awesome. that scene with him, but what do you say? It's Al Pacino. Yeah, that's so. right. Dennis, what about you? What's your favorite scene in the movie? I'm going to, I mean, it's the cliche finish with the speech at the end, I think is a good one. I, I also see the, the dynamics of the Thanksgiving scene. Yes. 
So I, I, I'm going to go, ultimately, the more memorable one for me is is the big speech at the end, the I'll show you out of order. You know, I remember that. But watching it over again and, 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 and getting through most of it is that Thanksgiving scene where, yeah, it's just, I think that scene is, it's a, it's a nicely done scene. There's a lot there. And I think it's, what I'm sensing at that point, too, is he doesn't see Charlie as a kid anymore, just a kid. Yeah. Um, he sees him as something because there's some defense defense of him and you sort of, sort of see him notice that without saying it. So I think it's a kind of an interesting scene. Yeah. And I like that other actor. What's his name? Bradley Cooper. Or not yes. Bradley Cooper. Uh, not Bradley, Bradley, Cooper. Whit- um, uh, Bradley. Bradley. Yeah. Whitford. Yeah. He was in also um, my life with Keaton. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he's in West Wing, obviously and all that, but yeah, that's and, a good scene. And normally in other movies, he's the one playing the jerk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's kind of nice to see him on the other side. For me, I think it's, I I could go with the Thanksgiving scene. I mean, that's just, it's fun, but it's so awkward to watch. I do love the car scene, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That one's one's just so much fun. I was going to go there, but yeah. 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 But he's saving it. Yeah. (laughs) Charlie, you're sitting in a car with one very happy man right now. (laughs) Stop yelling at me. I'm blind. (laughs) I picture Pat saying that a lot if he were have, had the chance to ride in a Ferrari. You're sitting in the car with a very happy man right now. Yeah, that, and that's that's the that's the best line is when he's just okay. Let's slow it down. He's I feel another gear coming on here. Yep. <laughs> All right, it's time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one. What is your favorite movie that features Thanksgiving as a setting? I I think I think that one's a pretty easy pick for me. I'm going to go Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah, yeah. I believe that would have been, if, if Bo was here, I believe that would have been his pick too. Yeah, yeah. If, if Dennis unmutes, he might be agreeing. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, sorry, I hit my mute on that. Yeah, no, I was just, that was, you stole the first one I should answer first. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's, I think that's going to be an obvious one for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is definitely the first one that when I read that question popped into mind. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if I have many other, I mean, you can go to the list and scroll down just to put the variety up there, but yeah, that one is, that one's pretty, that one's pretty awesome. The only one I even thought of was just because another teacher had just seen this movie over the weekend. And we were talking about it. There is the, the the blind side where it takes place around Thanksgiving and yeah, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving scene there. And I actually used that in my class. That scene for some breaks in continuity when they're serving the food. And so, I mean, that's, I literally couldn't. I had a hard time thinking of anything else that was necessarily Thanksgiving. But I'm sure there's enough out there. Yeah. Yeah, you don't. Do you really get a Thanksgiving movie? It's usually a scene in Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. What it really is, 
It has to do with that. Was, gr- you know, was, you- was grumpy old men Christmas or Thanksgiving? Uh, Christmas. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Rocky. Yeah. 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 I find a Thanksgiving movie and it's or a Thanksgiving scene and it's okay, cool. That Rocky, great right. movie. Yeah. Like, but I. But if you're looking for a Thanksgiving movie, mm-hmm. I, I think planes, trains, and automobiles. Except for that really awkward ending, it's a great mm-hmm. movie. <laughs> well, yeah. Here's what I see: is yeah. they got. I, 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 I feel John Candy's smile at that end and his realization, his face is not. He's seeing him get to his wife. Mm-hmm. He's seeing him get to his wife, and that he played a part in helping him get home. And they finally made it there, and he sees that. So it also makes him think of his own wife that he misses. And it's more of a, I'm glad he has this, and yes, there's the sad part. It is somewhat sad, mm-hmm. but his story is sad. His wife isn't going to be there. But I think the, also that smile has a certain sense of, that's, I'm glad that my friend got home to his mm-hmm. wife, and that's important, and I, and I do miss my wife, but I'm good. But I'm also good. Like, he is good. See, I didn't, I, I didn't, get, I that like sense, I didn't get that sense of, I'm good. So I, I, I got all the rest of that, but I didn't get the sense of I'm good. Watch the end. At the end, there you go. Watch again. He's going. I think. I think. He, Bo, I think are we crazy? Or, or when I say good, it doesn't mean it's all. But I think he's. I don't feel as it's that devastating. Okay. See, so he looks down. Yeah. And so he sees him, and he's. And they intentionally believe. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying, but I just didn't get that sense of. And I don't know. I think. I think, yeah. I guess I don't get that final sense of this of whole him movie, thinking I'm good. This whole movie is this this crazy adventure mm-hmm. throughout, you know, uh, across everything to get back to his family. That's all he wants right. to do is get back to his family. Right. And I think if you just fade, it, you end it when they go in and hey, they all. We don't know the family here. You get a sense of how much she's also missed him. So that comes across. How much the family, like how much, the wife is sitting up mm-hmm. on the stairs and then well, not the mm-hmm. last, he looks up and there's that moment. I think those moments are good because it gives you a little bit of that feeling of you got there. You mm-hmm. finally got home. This is why he was so frustrated wanting to get there and he's yeah. coming back to his family and he gets there. And what do you do with John Candy? He doesn't have that family. Right. So you, you could either just not cut to him and just focus on Steve Martin. But I think mm-hmm. it's okay to focus on him and I think it is okay to have a little bit of that sadness in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we feel sorry for him. Right. Ultimately, right. by watching that, but he does smile, and it's not. If he would have been like mm, and just sad and crying, to face the black, that would be horrible. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's smiling is like, he's still good. Okay. I think he. I, I think he's good. I mean, yeah, it's definitely sad because he's thinking of his wife right there. Right. He sees him with his wife coming home, and he doesn't have that wife to come home anymore. Yeah. And that's just the story. That's who those characters were. We can't change that at the end. And I think by just cutting it early. I don't know. I'm okay with that decision is my point. I'm okay. not saying that All it's right. not necessarily sad. Yeah. I'm okay with them doing that. Okay. Because it's not overly depressing. It's, but you do get, I don't know. I just, I think it works. I think it's a good choice. All right. Bo, point. are we out of our minds? No. Did you, pull, did you watch the ending? Have you pulled it? Because if you go YouTube, you'll be able to see the ending at some point. But you, you tell us what no. you think too at some point. But. It was definitely awkward. I tend to agree with John that it wasn't necessary, but the more Dennis talked about can't it, can't hear the you more anymore. I said, no. Can't hear you. <laughs> what? Oh. You're cutting out. No. Dennis says he can't hear you anymore. <laughs> but the more I listened to Dennis, the more I saw the reason for it. I may not agree with the reason for it. I may not think it needed to be there, but 
I can see why some people might. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, me personally, I didn't need it, but I, I think my wife probably thought it was great. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think I just, I think I read that smile at the end of the movie a different way. Okay. And not that I'm a pessimistic person, but I'm usually more of an optimistic person, but I think I read that smile as a, huh, I I feel a little bit out of place now. I put yeah. it as a, it's a mixed feeling smile. It's yeah, because it, he looks down at first and then he looks up mm-hmm. and then he looks up and smiles. Mm-hmm. I think if you reverse that, he's smiling and then all of a sudden he gets sad. And he looks and down, down and then totally fades, different. Yeah. Ending. Well, yeah, yeah. But him by kind of he's already sad mm-hmm. and he's finding a way to fight through this. Mm-hmm. Is what I look at. And when I say fight through it, it's just he's grieving for his wife as well still even right. to this day and he always will but he can find a way to smile through it and still yeah. move forward and, and he's happy that he's got his friend to get to his wife I'm just teasing you Dennis it wasn't awkward Charlie Brown Thanksgiving <laughs> there you Charlie go. Brown Thanksgiving if, if anybody wants to go back and find out how awkward the ending was that was our episode number 127 there it is titled Those Aren't Pillows <laughs> All right, so Pat, this is the one you've been waiting for. Question number two. If you could test drive one current model car, 2022, which one would you pick? Well, I'll defer to the gentleman from, from Vernon Hills over there, Dennis. Wait, what was this question again? <laughs> I've been preparing. I've been preparing for the question. It has to be a current model car. So in the movie, they, it was a current Ferrari that they were driving. So if it was a current model car in 2022, and you could test drive any car you wanted to, what would you drive? I'll be honest. I'm going to go with a Tesla. Okay. Mm. Be curious. I've heard some pretty interesting things. So yeah. Yeah. Can I go? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask permission for this one. Otherwise my backup is I'm not, I've said this before. I'm not necessarily a car guy. So I don't know if you can just stick me in a car that does not have manual transmission. Cause otherwise I'm going to tear it up. Stick me in a car. Let me, let me run loose. He does in the movie for a little bit. I'm probably going to pick something, a Dodge Charger or a Challenger or something like that. But if, if I can if I could get some permission here to cheat just a little bit, I did happen to see the other day that DeLorean is coming out with a new car later this year. I heard about that. Yeah. So the, the DeLorean, their electric car called the Evolved, is apparently coming out. They're, getting, they're announcing it in August of this year. So I have always loved the DeLorean as a car, so... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat and say I will test drive that one when they announce it later this year. Nice. All right. Well, the gentleman from Vernon Hills and the gentleman from Lake Forest yield the remainder of their time to the gentleman who will now spend the next hour talking about what car he would <laughs> test drive. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's in a sense. Gonna... It... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, it's real, real easy because I'm, my my taste in automobiles tends to go if I'm in a Ferrari, Italian cars, and I would I would I would I would wander over to to a Lake Forest Ferrari there, John, mm-hmm. and make an appointment because everything is by appointment only. And right. I'll tell you, I was but you know what the 2022. I mean, <laughs> not that I'm picking up literature on what's the latest Ferrari lineup, so I'm going and looking. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I, I sent the link out earlier. I was looking through all the different ones and I'm like, wow, check that out. Oh man, they make one with a V12. Look at this. But they make this one called, it's the Ferrari Roma. And 
oh my gosh, I guys, it is breathtakingly gorgeous. I mean, <laughs> I looked at the car and uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I had some, I had some, had all the feels and I looked over at Tammy and I'm, I'm, I'm a little speechless here. I'm a little, it was literally a take your breath away moment. And I'm, oh I'm my glad, gosh. I'm glad you chose to say you had all the feels. Cause I thought you were going to finish that sentence with guys. I, I had impure thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know the Ferrari Roma is just, I had thoughts. Bless me, father. I had oh. thoughts of a car of an impure yeah. nature. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh man. So the, yeah, the Ferrari Roma and I was reading about it and they, I mean, I mean, it's an incredibly high performance car and, and all that. And I think almost all of Ferrari's cars are now hybrid motors, okay. which is exciting. A lot of the hybrid is used for more high performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but they say that it's it's a grand touring style. It's 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 a little bit more subtle. And I mean, I, I would love to have the absolute most highest performance car. But let's be honest, I'm I'm not some great driver that can exact every inch of potential from it. So they said that this car is great. If you're taking it out on a racetrack, it'd be great. Taking it out on twisty roads, it'd be great. Around town, it'd be great. And the thing just has so much style. I, I'm. Uh, the, website, it, the website says it's extraordinarily fun to drive. It's that's yeah. And if you look at the price tag, it, it, it better be, but I spent way too much time on the little configurator tool <laughs> <laughs> planning out interiors and exteriors and all that. So if I was going to test drive that's, any car, Pat's sitting there playing on the Ferrari website. If I were a rich man, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. But yeah, yeah, they're, they're each, each to their own. And, and it's obviously those things get difficult because you can be in love with cars, but when it becomes luxury items, it's okay. Well, we're spending money on a lot. You know, there's all those sides of things, but my gosh, it's a beautiful car. So all those cars are, and I'd probably do exactly what he did in the movie where he just walked around the dealer. What about this one? What about this one? What about this one? Mm -hmm. So but yeah, the the Ferrari Roma was a a surprise and a and a and a take my breath away moment. So Pat, I do apologize because here I am with my my setup here for our podcast, and I did not set you up properly to be able to answer this question. Can you tell me what your pick would have been one more time? The Ferrari Roma. There we go. Ah, uh, that's funny stuff, that's, man. That's funny stuff. I think that's appropriate. All right. Okay. So moving on to the other really important question that's probably going to take us a while to answer. And for all the people that have been listening to this show for all the years that we've been around, they know that eventually at some point this show completely devolves into a discussion about food. So for the next hour and a half, we'll be talking about if you were to go to a restaurant and they offered you a $24. Question number three is where do you go to get your perfect burger? And what are the toppings? Go for it, Dennis. You want me to go first? All right. Well, having uh, having obviously gone away from burgers, I could give a pass, but I'm not going to go for the pass. I'm just going to go in the present and move forward. I'm going to say plant power, um, fast food in sun, sun, Sunset Cliffs, San Diego, which I'll be hopefully in a couple of weeks here. And, and they have a awesome iconic burger, they call it. And the iconic burger has, I want it, they have a secret sauce. And this is all vegan, by the way. So it is a vegan burger. So it's my cravings for if I want a good kind of 
throwback burr type of feel. That's where I would, that's, that's where I found the best. It's got crispy onions on it. It has grilled onions. You can get the, I, I throw the, I throw, I throw the crispy onions on it, but it comes with grilled onions, lettuce, tomato, pickles, American cheese, secret sauce. And that's, and I would, I would get avocado on there as well now, but that, that's something I just a guilty pleasure type of, for somebody who's more plant-based now, great fries. And it's just a really good, they got great shakes there. It's just all your guilty pleasures. So that's, that's going to be mine. So plant power in sunset cliffs, San Diego, if you're by nearby, check it out, get the app, you get a free shake plant power. Thank you. I will take any, (laughs) any advertising money. So if you're in, I I was looking at this one website earlier. I've never, I have not been to any of these places. It was uh, eater eater eater.com Chicago. And they list off the 20 plus whatever best burger places in Chicago. So I, I found one number 19 on here is can't believe it's not meat. Mm. And it's a place in Hyde park. And they, I guess they have just a ton of different burgers that are all, every single thing is plant based yeah. and yeah. Yeah. It looks good. Oh yeah. I mean, I sent the link in the thing. You check that one out too. It's got some pictures of the burgers and stuff, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's what they can do, but so that's that's going to be my go-to and like i said i will be there at some point soon and that'll be one of the one of the stops for sure with the kids cool patrick what do you got i got no locations for you guys and i'm sorry about that i got no oh this is my go-to place which is a problem. That being said, if I was going to, uh, if I went to a place and I was going to get a burger, I would probably look for, I love black bean patties. Okay. And every place kind of has their own little wrinkle on it. And again, I'm still in the the sampling mode. I can't tell you an outright favorite, but I'd say a black bean uh, burger. And then as far as the toppings on it, give me all the toppings and feel free to load it up to the point that I, I can't even pick the burger up. Sliced onions, tomato, the avocado sauces. I mean, I don't mind mustard, ketchup, relish, barbecue sauce. The thing that just puts it over the top, portobello mushroom, grilled portobello mushroom, put right on top really makes it happen. I mean, I could even eat a portobello mushroom sandwich and just be fine with that. So for me, I, I, I don't have a, a restaurant that is, oh, that's my go-to. But that being said, when I go to a restaurant, if I'm looking for a burger, I really like black bean burgers and then just all the toppings. Now, now Pat, you are also, if I'm correct in saying, you're relatively plant-based on, on things right now. Yeah, I, I don't I don't eat any meat either. Sorry, yeah. sorry, John. 60, 67% of the uh, podcast don't eat meat <laughs> on this episode. Sorry about question number three. That, that's okay, because I make up for that. <laughs> so, so here's my question. How long has that been? Oh, man. I meant prior. So if you were to go to a prior good old-fashioned beef burger place, what would be your do – you, do you know what you remember craving? I've got two, and I'll throw one in. One's really quick, easily still available as Portillo's. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to downtown, because when I worked downtown, I would always drive by here, drive by the drive through It was a place called Checkers. Okay. I don't know if you ever heard of Checkers. It's downtown. I think it's off of Clark Street. Okay. They've got a place. It's called the, uh, the one that I think I remember getting from there if they still have it the name that i think it was just simply called something the cheese champ or something mm-hmm. 
Well, I'll give I'll give a burger shout out to, if you're around Wakanda area, not Black Panther Wakanda, but Wakanda Illinois, yeah, Northern Lake County. There's a place called Bulldogs, yes, and yes, that is good. And and they've got great, <clears throat> they've got a pretty awesome menu with a bunch of different things. And I I don't know all their burgers. They make a lot of really good burgers. And you can I think they've got an all beef patty, a turkey patty. Uh, they've got different patties that they can put on there. They might. It's been pandemic it's been a while since we've actually been there other than just doing takeout and stuff they might have a a, a veggie burger option or something like that that i'm not 100 percent sure but local i'd say i'd have to say bulldogs okay yeah no, and i should i should have i should have given them a shout out anyways yeah but they're they're awesome just wonderful food and great atmosphere and the whole thing all right so now we turn it over to the pro john <laughs> what do like you got car. it's kind of like pat's car question it's uh, yeah <laughs> I've, I've, I've been thinking about this one all day. Um, so, There's a lot of paper writing on this one. How you make your list when you have these? I yeah. You remember in seven when they find all of his notebooks and it's the little tiny handwriting and the <laughs> what's in the box? It's it's going to be some burgers is what it's going to be. I, I don't profess to be an expert on this by any stretch of the imagination. I have places that I enjoy, but I the moment I mention some of these, somebody's going to be like, well, that's not the best burger in the world. I, I've yeah, we don't like those week. people. So yeah, you say what you want to say. Anyway, so I'm going you know, to say whatever it's I feel like. Now, the irony is, the irony is, and because I always do these three questions with the, the family as we're having dinner before we record on recording nights, the irony is, as I was getting ready to come home from work, I, I got a text from the family, and it was, well, what do you want to do for dinner tonight? And it's 76 degrees outside. And I'm like, why don't I pick up some stuff? Why don't I grill some burgers? And that's what we're doing for dinner. So that's exactly what we did for dinner. So when I asked the family this question, I said, okay, here's my third question for our second recording tonight. Other than dad's burger he just made and that you're currently eating, where do you find your favorite burger and what do you put on top of it? So thankfully they all said that mine was their favorite. And and tonight the burgers were very good. We, we had some very good, very good burgers on pretzel buns and uh, some nice either Swiss cheese or American cheese or whatever everybody wanted, and they were they were very tasty. So I will say for me, I, my son gave a great answer earlier tonight. Growing up in Texas, we always would go to Fuddruckers a lot, and they, they would always have a very good burger. You know what? I'm going to go – I'm probably going to go with – one of my one of my favorite more recent burgers. Now I, I love a good and I know some of these are just super greasy and probably kind of disgusting, but I don't care. I love a good Billy Goat Tavern burger. Oh in downtown yeah. Chicago. It, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, double is better. Double is better. Triple is best, but double is better. Those are so good. I what Kuma's Corner. When I went to Kuma's Corner for the first time. And got introduced to their burgers and the amazingness that is, wait, you you put that on a burger? Yeah, I'll have one or two of those. So I yeah, I've been, been there a couple of different times now, and I'm that was actually the first time I had ever tried the burger with the fried egg on top of it and stuff like that. So I've had there there I've had some of the the different ones. They've got the Iron Maiden, the Metallica burger. I've had the Slayer. The Plague Bringer, all their different, always kind of heavy metal based stuff. But if I'm going to put a, if I'm going to put toppings on it, a lot of times I'll try to keep it pretty simple. I'll either do a Swiss cheese and some sliced up avocado. My other one is uh, blue cheese, bacon, and barbecue sauce. 
is a combination mm. that I'll go with sometimes. But yeah, actually, when I go, that's that's the one time. I never made it for myself at home where I put the egg on top of the burger. But if I go to Kuma's Corner or something like that, I'll, I'll usually get the, I think that's the one that they have that's just called the Kuma Burger. And that's the one that's got the bacon, the cheddar cheese, the fried egg. Oh, yeah. yeah, basically. <laughs> well, and I, Isn't it from one of the movies? Wasn't it from, uh, wait, what was, what was uh, Great Outdoors? What was the name of that? Oh, it was yeah. Old 96er. The 96er yeah. was the state. Yeah, it, was, yes. it wasn't a burger, but I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I, I have not been. I, I'm looking at this list of the fancy places that are in downtown Chicago and and other options like that. I'm okay, well, I could. Mushroom and grilled onions on a burger. I didn't mention I also had mushrooms on there, too. Mushrooms and grilled onions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Make a good ground when I would eat meat. It was a ground turkey burger too that I would actually make homemade, which I really loved. So I would put mine in there too. You have to mix it with a little bit of water, and it would make it moister and just yeah. Mm. That was a good one. Some garlic salt. I am going upstairs to make food when we're done here. <laughs> uh huh. But yeah, avocado on a burger, man, isn't amazing. Mm-hmm. Once I tried that, it's like, yeah, avocado and everything. Just yep, throw avocado in there. Yeah, and it's yeah. weird because when I was a kid, I did not, I did not particularly really care for avocado. I was like, eh, well, I'm not eating that. No. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the little pit out of the middle and we'll play baseball with it or something. But yeah. but I would do when when we'd go to Fuddruckers when I was a kid and we'd go to Fuddruckers every once in a while. I would do the I, I would do a burger. I'd probably just do cheddar cheese or something on it. And I would always put the only topping I'd ever put on it was uh, pico de gallo, Ooh. and that was always pretty good too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, it's I mean it's late at night, but I'm kind of hungry now. Yeah. And, and actually, yep, I I purposefully made a few too many burgers when I was grilling them out. I'm, I'll just take one to work tomorrow. I don't know if I'm taking one to work tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, nope. give me a couple of minutes, and it will be tomorrow. So technically, I will have my burger tomorrow. Darn tootin' you're going to have your burger tomorrow. You said you made a couple extra, so. I did. Well, I made three extra. But if you eat day. one, if you eat one, you cannot leave the other one in that fridge by itself, so. Well, no. see, I, but I made I three extra because I was, well, the, the kids, well, that was their, they could have that for lunch tomorrow if they wanted to. I think John already ate his that was supposed to be for tomorrow, so he's already had at least two today. End the podcast, eat the burger, wait two minutes, eat the second one. One was dinner tonight, the next one's breakfast yeah. tomorrow. Eat two burgers, two burgers in a day isn't bad. Done. Boom. Yeah. Leave, leave the gun, take the burger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as as usual, we've devolved into a food podcast. So at some mm. point I'm I'm sure we will I'm sure we'll do an offshoot of the thirty something movie podcast that'll do the thirty something culinary podcast. Yes. Because it's just, it's kind of what yeah, we do. Jeff and Bo, man, I'd love to hear what your burger place is there, too. Yeah. I, see, that's the thing. I was I was a little sad that Jeff and Bo yeah, were not going to be able to do this tonight, been. but. It would have it would have been another 45 minutes of editing for you, but. Yeah, that's fine. Just that question yeah. alone. It's, it's food. I'm willing to do it for food. <laughs> the ethical dilemma of whether I should, whether Ooh. I should edit a little bit extra because we're talking about food or. I will, right here. I will edit extra. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. As always, it's always fun to talk movies with you. Yeah, John, Dennis, great time. Great movies. So I will, I'll try to drop that link to that one article in the show notes if anybody yeah. wants to go take a look at it on the 
ethical dilemma of Scent of a Woman. Otherwise, you can go find the rest of our episodes at 30podcast.com, where you can also rate, leave a review, um, leave a voicemail, all that other fun stuff. Give some feedback on that question for Scent of the Woman, too. I'd be curious what the the thoughts are out there. Is is Mm -hmm. it ethical? I know we raised a whole philosophical discussion there. Yeah. Does it hope that doesn't take away from the enjoyment of the movie? I don't think it does. It no, just, I don't think so. One of those pieces when we walk away, where you, hmm, what, what is that? So I'd be curious to see what other yeah. all you fans out there think and all you moviegoers. Well, and you, and like you guys said, we don't know if Charlie made the right decision. Yeah. We're, we're never shown if he made the right decision. So if if you're listening to this, we would love to hear from you. Did Charlie make the right decision in Scent of a Woman? So and if so, what made it right? Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, so give us a call, leave a voicemail, you know, send us a note on Twitter, email us, whatever you want to do. But we would love to hear from you because we're we're, we're kind of curious. So, and like I said, we'll give you some college credit, CPDs, the college mm-hmm. credit, or we will we'll share burger recipes with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. either way, or we'll take pictures of ourselves eating burgers and tweet it. I don't know. It's I'm it's going to be too busy eating to take a picture. Our next episode's coming up. We're going to finish off the month of March with the Bodyguard is our last movie for the month of March. And then April starts off with Patriot Games, Under Siege, oh. A Few Good Men, and Universal Soldier. Our Patreon, if you are one of those Patreon co-executive producers, uh, you would have access then to our April Patreon movie, which is High Noon from 1952. And then in May, we've got our Musicals and Animation Month, and that's going to be Noises Off, Newsies, Aladdin, and Cool World, with our Patreon episode being Singing in the Rain from 1952. So all kinds of good stuff coming. All right. Nice. Everybody, thank you so much. We'll see you back here next time for The Bodyguard. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. Go have a burger, too. Or two. Or three. Ah, Who cares? We'll see you back here next time. Bye.